having just returned from a multi-week ministry trip to the United States, I'm reminded why so many people around the world want to immigrate there in pursuit of the so-called American dream. Someone defined the American dream as the ideal that every citizen of the United States has an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. Simply put, if you work really hard, you will be prosperous. However, the reality is many hardworking people in America are not prosperous nor successful as defined by the world. In fact, I was talking to a few people who told me that because of Texas's fast-growing population, fueled by many companies moving into the state and cheaper tax obligations, their home values have tripled or an increase of 300%. By any reasonable standard of investment, a 300% return in five to eight years is simply phenomenal, especially in the real estate market. However, ironically, even with skyrocketing home prices, they are unable to sell their homes because they can't afford to buy another affordable home of the same size without moving 100 kilometers away. They can't capitalize and monetize on their paper gains. How sad. The dream is but a dream. Closer to home, because of the expensive cost of living in our city, without a gift of a house or a car by our families, or an infusion of starting cash, a young person starting out in his or her career is unable to buy their own house or car unless they save almost everything they earn after taxes and paying for essentials. And it may only be until their 10th year when they are able to purchase a car, and that doesn't account for any medical issues that may suddenly arise or if they are expected to support their parents and siblings. The sad reality is that for many people, hopes and dreams are simply that, hopes and dreams, and it never comes to fruition. And on the flip side, if we are blessed with some resources or savings, we fear losing the little of what we already have. That is a depressing reality many people face today. That's why for most people, what they want in life is generally three simple things. Especially if they work hard, they expect to have these things. First, they want their success guaranteed. They want to keep on winning in life. They want to be successful in all that they do. Failure is one of their greatest fears. Second, they want their security assured. They want to make sure that they won't ever lose the money they have or have earned. They want the assurance of health and physical protection. Their greatest fear is if that security is somehow threatened when they lose their wealth or get sick or if they are physically attacked. They want security assurances. Third, they want to make sure that their legacy is certain. They want to be remembered by the succeeding generations and to be immortalized. Their greatest fear in life is to be forgotten or to be made irrelevant. That's why the Scriptures often talk about turning to God and placing our trust in Him, because in His hands is both the ability to make our worst fears come true and the ability to make our wildest dreams and hopes come true. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Nahum as we take a look at how God can make our dreams come true and bring fear to those who do not humble themselves 
thinking they alone can achieve their own hopes and dreams without God in their lives. Contextually, the prophet Nahum was called to prophesy against the nation of Assyria, who had gotten proud and arrogant as a nation. And as we take a look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 9, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2, we want to see how a rightfully wrathful God will bring about the three greatest fears in life upon the nation of Assyria because of their opposition to God and His people. And at the same time, we will see how a loving God will bring about the greatest dreams to people who trust Him and turn to Him. Let's take a look now at Nahum chapter 1, verse 9 to chapter 2, verse 2, as we look at fears, hopes, and dreams. I read now Nahum chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Here in these verses, we see God's ability to destroy his enemies, in this case Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. We see that the Assyrians' number one fear comes true. Her success will come to an end. Even though the Assyrians were successful the first time they attacked God's people, and historically in the past, they seemed successful as God allowed it. Here God said He would now remove their ability to easily succeed. There won't be a second time, as verse 9 says. You see, the Assyrians had tried to take over Jerusalem in the siege of the city in 2 Kings chapter 18, but they were never able to do it again, and they never took the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because God didn't allow it. God didn't allow them to succeed. As verse 2 tells us, their conspiracy against God will be ended. This was the end of the line for the success of the Assyrians. In fact, if we were to go to modern-day Iraq today, this once greatest of cities in its time in the ancient Near East lies in ruin. God's Word says He will make an utter end of it. Verse 10 speaks of the fact that the city of Nineveh could not stand up to God's fiery judgment upon them. And verse 11 reminds us that it is not because this destruction is unwarranted. It is because they plotted against God and His people. The wicked counselor here most probably refers to King Shenasserab of Assyria. Likewise, my friends, we need to come to the full realization that if God doesn't allow your plans to succeed, then your success will come to an end. It is as simple as that. You see, the first fear that God may allow to come true in our lives is that, number one, our success will come to an end. Our success will come to an end. If it is the fear of people that they will not succeed, it goes without saying, shouldn't we be trusting in God more than in ourselves? Trusting in the very God who has the power to bring our success to an end or to allow it to continue? If God chooses to take away His hand of blessing from your life and ministry, that's it. You and I will not prosper. In fact, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says that if we conceal our sins, then we shall not prosper. This is an important lesson to learn because so many people correlate their self-worth with their worldly success. The more successful they are, the more proud they become. This was true in the case of Nineveh. They thought they would never lose. 
that they could never lose and that they would always be successful. They were overconfident in their success. But God said, your greatest fear will come to pass. Your glory days are over. Your success will end. Bill Gates was once quoted as saying, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. And it's an unreliable guide to the future. What seems the perfect business plan or latest technology today may soon be as out of date as the 8-track tape player, the vacuum tube television, or the mainframe computer. Can you imagine hearing those words from God? Your successes have come to an end. Your success is no more because you oppose me and continue to sin. This reality should indeed cause us to be fearful and to turn back to God in repentance and to seek a closer walk with Him. I read now verses 12 and 13. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when He passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off His yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. In these verses, a second of Nineveh's fears will come to pass that their security is no longer assured. You see, they felt secure because of the great city in which they lived and because of the number of people that lived in the city, as verse 12 tells us. In fact, in these verses, the audience shifts from addressing the Assyrians to comforting the people of Israel. God told them that the Assyrians thought they were safe and secure because they found safety in numbers as a huge empire. But in spite of this, they will be cut down. The protection of their massive city and their massive armies were no match for Almighty God. This destruction of the Assyrian Empire is described in verse 13 as the breaking off of the yoke around a beast of burden's neck. I know recently many people have sadly had their social media accounts hacked, especially on Facebook Messenger. I know a person has been hacked when I get a personal message from them in Tagalog asking for my phone number to add me to their new Yahoo account. Everyone knows I can't really converse in Tagalog, so those who know me well know to communicate with me in English. And so I'll usually reply with, I know you're a hacker. You should feel guilty trying to scam a pastor. Recently, I was surprised when a hacker replied back to my message, why should I feel guilty? I guess these people don't have a conscience or have no moral scruples. But how does it make you feel to be hacked or scammed? Cindy has had her GCash compromised and her balance cleared out within seconds. I've had my credit card number stolen and used as far away as Japan and Africa. In fact, my friend just told me he recently found his elderly mom giving a large sum of money to a scam charity that looks so legitimate. It's not a great feeling to be hacked or scammed. You feel vulnerable and exposed. You wonder, how could I have been so stupid and wonder if it could happen again? Even more extreme, I know that some of you have had to deal with family members being kidnapped years and decades before. How does it make you feel, and how does it change how you live your life? Do you remember what happens after your sense of security is shattered? You feel very vulnerable. You feel that it can happen again. 
it's not a great feeling. You begin to do things that you didn't do before. You become afraid. Before the incident, you believed it would never happen to you, but it did. And so now you feel insecure. My friends, when our security is shattered, then our assurance goes with it. You see, the second fear that God may allow to come true in our life is that number two, our security is no longer assured. Our security is no longer assured. And this happens when we place our trust in ourselves and in the things of the world and not upon the Lord. God may then remove the objects upon which we place our security in so that we can learn to trust solely in Him. But that is a tough lesson to learn and a difficult experience to go through to have our personal security shattered. In the business world, we have seen companies fail that shouldn't have failed. And if you have investments in those companies, you lost a fortune. It doesn't matter how many social media friends and followers you have. If God passes through, as verse 12 says, then you can't stand up to His discipline. The visualization in verse 12 is vivid. God can spot you out even if you're hiding in your humanly secured spots like your homes. The typhoons, with its intense howling winds and torrential rains, remind us that even the physical structures in which we hide and find refuge can easily be destroyed. Again, we need to come to the realization that if we don't fully trust in the Lord, then our security is not assured. I remember reading an article that summarized the life of a former winning basketball coach and network sports announcer. Throughout his colorful coaching career, he had been obsessed with the game and with winning. But years later, stricken with cancer, he came to realize the triviality of the goods and values to which he had been passionately devoted. You get sick and you say to yourself, sports means nothing, and that feels terrible. Because he had spent little time with his wife and children, he confessed, I figured I'd have 20 years in the big time. Who knows? Maybe win three national titles, then pack it in at 53 or 54. I was going to make it all up to them, all the time I'd been away. It sounds so silly now, but it went on and on, that insatiable desire to conquer the world. My friends, if one is honest with themselves, we have to come to the realization and acknowledgement that the world doesn't offer any assurances that cannot be taken away by God. Only the Lord can we find true assurance for our own peace of mind. I read now verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. In this verse, the Lord turns back to addressing the Assyrians, saying that He has given a command, presumably to His angelic administrators, that the Assyrian Empire's name and legacy will no longer be perpetuated. This was one of their worst fears coming true because the Assyrian Empire wanted to be known throughout the known world and throughout history. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone forgets their names because historically we know about the Assyrians. But the Assyrian Empire would not last for generations to come but end with the current one to which Nahum proclaimed God's prophetic words. Honestly, if we're not students of biblical history 
or ancient world history, we wouldn't even know of the Assyrian people. If we didn't grow up in Sunday school, we wouldn't have known of the Ninevites from the story of Jonah and the big fish. The Assyrian empire and culture is not common knowledge today because they are no longer relevant. They are no longer relevant to our culture in the 21st century. Indeed, God's prophetic words hold true. In verse 14, God said He would destroy the Assyrian idols and images, which symbolizes how they had become powerful and were used to be remembered by all in the ancient Near East, or so they thought. The removal of these idols were a very concrete statement from Almighty God that the Assyrian false gods were useless and that the god Yahweh was all-powerful. God would dig the grave of this empire and bury them. Their legacy will no longer be perpetuated. You see, the third fear that God may allow to come true in our lives is that number three, our legacy will no longer be perpetuated. Our legacy will no longer be perpetuated. In our Asian culture, especially among the older generation, leaving a lasting legacy, spiritual or not, is important. But we need to understand that apart from God's allowance, our man-made desire for a legacy that lasts is futile because only the Lord has the power to maintain or remove one's legacy. You can force your children or grandchildren to remember you when you are alive, but you can't guarantee that once you are gone that they will remember you fondly or make any efforts to carry on with your legacy, especially if you have not invested into their lives. We see this to be true every year as less and less people go to the cemeteries on November 1 as practicality and convenience wins over remembrances and maintaining legacies. The reality is we all have very short memories. For example, does anyone remember the NBA or PBA champions from 10 years ago or even the first runner-up? Anyone remember the year they were baptized? the pastor who officiated your wedding, the birthdates of your nieces and nephews, the names of your four sets of great-grandparents? Even when it comes to famous historical figure, how is it that you know some but not others? Names like Hudson Taylor, Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln, John Sung, Napoleon, Alexander Hamilton, before and after the musical. There is no set formula for a surefire legacy remembered by all. Because God controls legacies and perpetuates them. Even if you have a building named after you, it doesn't guarantee that you will be remembered. Just drive by the countless buildings in Chinatown, Manila, with people's names as the building names. I don't know 99% of them. The current generation doesn't even care to find out who these people are. But if you see a McDonald's, you know it's a place where you can get good French fries and a Big Mac. Imagine how it must feel that after all of your life's accomplishments, people will remember a clown more than you. This is a real fear, one in which you have no control over, that God doesn't allow for your legacy to last. Now, while God brings about the greatest fears for those who stand in opposition to Him, and willfully disobey Him. In contrast, we also have a loving God who graciously grants our greatest hopes and dreams when we put our trust solely in Him. 
We will see this play out in the next three verses as we see that God's promises to His people Israel come to fruition. Look at verse 15. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of Him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. With attention now focused on the inhabitants of Judah, the prophet Nahum says to the Israelites, there is coming from over the mountains a man, a messenger, who will bring good news to the people of Israel, and it will be a message of peace. This is a prophetic promise to a people whose history has been filled with troubled times. But the Bible tells us God guarantees it that in the future for Israel, there will be eternal peace. Israel's dream will be realized. Her true success will be realized because of God's grace. Israel will be able to observe their feast, and no one will bother them because the enemy has been dealt with by God. He has utterly cut off any opposition. You see, when an enemy or opposition has been cut off, guess what? Success is guaranteed. For example, when someone in an election runs unopposed, guess what? Victory is guaranteed. It is assured. That is the idea that is being presented here. There is no more opposition to those whom God chooses to bless, so success is guaranteed. By the way, if verse 15 sounds familiar, it is because the Apostle Paul quotes the first line of this verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, to correlate that messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ also brings good news. Like this prophetic message in the book of Nahum, the message of the gospel is a message of peace. What we see in this verse is the assurance of hope that when we trust God, number one, true success will come in God's hands. True success will come in God's hands. That's why we can trust God in every aspect of our lives, even in what we would consider the little or petty things. The God of the universe does care a great deal about every detail of our lives. Are we willing to ask Him for help and entrust the success of our lives into His hands? I was reminded of this truth recently. While in the U.S., one of the things I needed to buy was a new suit jacket. For whatever reason, the suits made there just fits me better. I went to a department store in Houston called Macy's where there just happened to be a sale on men's suits. For a $450 Ralph Lauren polo suit, it was 70% off and a great deal at $135. I found a style that I liked, but just couldn't get the right sizing and thought to myself that when I get to Dallas in a few days, I may be able to find the same style with just the right size at a Macy's there. When I went up to Dallas, and walked into the Macy's department store, I found the exact same suit jacket, and now with the perfect sizing fit, 46R. But unfortunately, the suit was no longer on sale and was back to the original price of $450, which was way outside of my budget. I tried to sweet-talk the sales associate if she could give me the sale price from last week. I forgot I wasn't in Asia, and that bargaining doesn't work in a U.S. department store. She said she couldn't give me that price because once the sale is over, it's over. 
she saw that I was dejected and was about to walk out of the store when she said, Sir, our store manager told us that tomorrow, Wednesday, there will be a nationwide one-day flash sale on some items in our stores. Now, we don't know what items will be selected for the flash sale. It can be on jewelry or women's blouses or kids' clothes, but you can try your luck and check to see if men's suits will go on sale again. I said thanks and went to my car, and I prayed to the Lord, God, I want to ask you a favor. You know I need a new suit after six years of wearing the same one every week. I'm only in the U.S. for another four days. I'm sure you have better things to worry about than whether a suit goes on sale or not. But if you could somehow convince Macy's management in New York to make tomorrow's nationwide flash sale to be on men's suit so I can buy my suit before I leave for the Philippines, I would certainly appreciate it. Now, you have to understand that in retail, it doesn't make good business sense to place on sale the very same item you had on sale last week. Also, everyone was going back to school in the U.S., and so there were lots of back-to-school sales on things like shoes, children's clothes, and school supplies and necessities. I don't think many people are looking to buy men's suits in preparation to go back to school. Anyway, I prayed and went to bed. The next day, I looked at the Macy's website, and I kid you not, on July 19th, that Wednesday, the Macy's one-day national sale during the back-to-school season was on men's suits for the same sale price as the one I saw the week before. And so I went to the store and got the suit at a greatly discounted price, which is the suit I'm wearing now. Now, I don't know how it all worked out in the discussions of the top management in Macy's in New York City, but all I know is that I asked God something very small, and He delivered in a very big way. Indeed, truly, God does make our hopes and dreams come true because He can remove any barriers and obstacles to guarantee success. I now read chapter 2, verse 1. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. In this verse, Nahum now goes back to speaking to the Assyrians. God said He will scatter the people. They will try to man their defenses, their fort. They will be on the lookout on the roads that lead into the city. They will guard their weak sides and their flanks. They will strengthen themselves, but it is of no consequence. They will be destroyed. And we see this play out historically as God so prophesied. The Assyrians were scattered by combined force led by Syaxarus the Mede and Nabopolassar the Babylonian. But the true power came from the Lord God who used these two leaders to overthrow the great Assyrian empire. My friends, it should be obvious that when the opposition has been destroyed, then there will be physical security because there is no longer a threat and no one is out there to harm you. In the Christian life, our security in Christ is assured because the enemy was destroyed at the cross. We talk about the victorious Christian life, and it is true because our security is assured. In the Lord's hand, our security is absolutely guaranteed. But look what else this verse tells us. There's someone who is fighting the battle. He who scatters and in the fight, not referring to the Israelites, is coming before the Assyrians and it is the Lord. 
My friends, in any physical battle, the fear is that you will die in combat. But you can't die if you don't fight. So there is nothing to fear if you don't fight. Since God is fighting on our behalf, if we place our lives in His hands, then your physical well-being and mind are assured. He is both protecting us and fighting our battles for us. This verse reminds us of the assurance of hope that when we trust God, number two, our security is absolutely guaranteed in God's hands. Our security is absolutely guaranteed in God's hands. You know, sometimes I get asked this question, Pastor, you say that God protects us, but people, even Christians, get sick, get hurt, and are involved in an accident. If that's so, how can you say that God really protects? I would answer, how many days are there in a year? 365 and a quarter days. How many hours? 8,766 hours. How many minutes? 525,960. How many seconds in a year? 31,557,600 seconds. Now, in all of those seconds in a year, who is protecting you? Now, over a lifetime, when a one-second accident would be enough to end your life, there are 2.2 billion seconds over a 70-year life period. Can you really argue that God doesn't protect you if you live to the age of 70? And even if your life were to end on earth one day, as a Christian who has placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you would immediately be in heaven to be with the Lord. There is still security guaranteed because of having secured eternal life in Jesus Christ. Indeed, security is absolutely guaranteed in God's hands. I read now verse 2. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the empty ears have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The focus of verse 2 comes back to the people of Israel. In this verse, God promised that He would restore Israel to her former glory. And from other scriptural passages, we see that they will be restored to even greater glory in the millennial kingdom. It will be in frustration to the empty ears, the nations that historically plundered the land of Israel and pillaged the land. But the promise of God is that He would restore Israel back to excellence. And we see this happening today. We speak of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. They were without a country for almost 2,000 years when General Titus kicked them out of Palestine in 70 AD. But they were divinely restored in 1948 as a nation. And this verse will be fulfilled in the millennium when God will fully restore them and give them all He has promised since the days of Abraham. Israel will be remembered forever. My friends, this verse reminds us of the assurance of hope that when we trust God, number three, our legacies will always be perpetuated in the Lord's hands. Legacies will always be perpetuated in the Lord's hands. It is the dream of all that they will be remembered long after they are gone from this earth. And the Bible reminds us in Matthew chapter 6 that when we store up treasures in heaven through the way we live our lives now, our heavenly rewards and heavenly treasures will never be destroyed, but will serve as a reminder for all eternity of how we have lived our life for the Lord on earth. Now, you may think you're nobody today or insignificant in this world, 
but at the judgment seat of Christ after our resurrection and in the millennium and in the new heavens and new earth, we will be recognized for all eternity for the works we have done for the Lord. It is that spiritual legacy that will always be remembered. It should be assuring to us that our works, seen or unseen, done for the Lord, are recorded in the annals of heaven to be kept in heaven's permanent record for all eternity. So, for example, if you volunteer on a Sunday morning at church because you want to serve the Lord or have a spiritual conversation with someone about Jesus because you want to share with them the love of Christ, it will be rewarded and remembered by God more than any building or room named after you to help others remember your legacy. If you want to be remembered, put your life in the hands of God. If you want your legacy to be perpetuated, do His work. As many of you already know, one of my greatest fears is cockroaches, especially the flying variety. If you ever hear screaming from my house, it's me seeing a cockroach. When I see one, I yell for my wife because she isn't afraid of them. She picks them up by the antenna, and despite me, she will sometimes dangle them in front of me and say, what are you scared of? You're more than 200 pounds, and this little cockroach weighs less than an ounce. My response, take it away, just kill it. But I'm always glad Cindy is around me when I see a cockroach. Now in the same way, without the Lord in our lives, we will fear many things. We will fear that our success will come to an end, that our security is no longer assured, that our legacy will no longer be perpetuated. But with Him in our lives and us serving Him, then our hopes and dreams will be realized as we recognize that true success will come in God's hands, that security is absolutely guaranteed in God's hands, and that our legacies will always be perpetuated in the Lord's hands. My friends, the choice is yours. Do you want to have your worst fears come true, or do you desire that your hopes and dreams come to fruition? It all boils down to living for Christ or ignoring Him in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this very vivid reminder from the book of Nahum. All too often, we live our lives apart from you, and then we wonder why we don't have success, spiritual success. We wonder why our security is not assured, and then we always worry about our legacies. Help us to change our perspective. Help us to live our lives for you so that we will understand what true success means in this life, that we will go about living with peace in our lives, a peace that passes all understanding because our security is guaranteed in your hands. And help us not to worry about our earthly legacies, but look forward to the heavenly legacies we leave behind that will never be destroyed or be forgotten. We desire indeed, Lord, to live our lives for you, for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.